Hello and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ram and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hey, Steph. Steph. Uh, I would ask you how it's going, but we probably already sort of know how it's going because it's been another topsy-turvy week at Tottenham Hotspur FC. And anyone who thought that perhaps our club woes had been removed for the season with Antonio Conte's gallbladder soon had another thing coming when news broke that we would be without Hugo Lloris for six to eight weeks with knee ligament injury. I mean, that was what was in our notes before yesterday's poor, poor showing at the King Power Stadium, which saw Spurs get thumped by four goals to one, lose Rodrigo Bentoncourt to what we just learned is an approximate eight-month ACL injury, and also learn that we'd lost Ryan Sessegnon's hamstring for eight weeks off the pitch. So yes, we all had another thing coming. Uh, we'll be discussing how much is fate, how much is self-inflicted, and where this tornado of utter bullshit leaves us as we head to Milan and beyond. We'll discuss it all shortly. But chaps, I suppose we should start with the week that was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, let's get to Premier League stories. Uh, Daniel Levy. <laughs> he was the subject of BT Sports Premier League stories this week. And it was mainly focused on the new stadium and Levy's role in its development. But there were some snippets about future direction. Um, I know, uh, Ram, I'm going to speak for you here and you can just pipe in and say correct. Uh, so as people know I'm not putting words <laughs> in your mouth. We didn't watch it, did we? Correct. There we are. So you can see that Ram has admitted he didn't watch it either. But Milo, you did watch it. So I have um, watched uh, it. Yes. Okay. So what did you think? So I think uh, I think first thing to say is some of this appears to have been recorded around the time that the stadium was opened, and it, 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 a lot of the focus was around that, and some of the you know work that's done in the community, and you know Levy was walking around the stadium talking about features and what they'd done and all that kind of stuff, and I think. One of the, I was going to say sadder points, it probably depends on what you think of our, uh, our chairman, but he was talking about the bars and the atmosphere pre-game and then then basically said, but I've never been here uh, during that. And you do kind of think you've kind of built this stadium and then you can't actually see it, you know, in action and what have Ground you. Ground control to Major Dan. <laughs> um Talks about talks about the events. Talks about how you know how they've got the uh, pitch conversion down and how they do want to do a Premier League game and an American football game in the same day, which is something we've talked about on here before. Um, and then also says about you know how the events and everything else means you know the money going into the team. So all the kind of stuff we've seen before, you know, no real surprises there. I think he came across quite well in it. It's quite nicely, you know, it's quite a slick. You know, easy going. You know, not too many challenge. You know, not no challenging questions in a, you know, half an hour, but you know, interesting enough. And you know, funny enough, you know, last week when we were talking about uh, you know the reply to the trust and stuff like that, we were saying then, or I was saying then, that they ought to get themselves out there and and be interviewed and you know be seen more. I thought you came across okay. They should do more of it, but you're not going to learn a lot. Mm. I think of him as a, I was just thinking about him as a David Bowie song, and I, I have to say, Space Oddity. <laughs> <laughs> Any advance on Space Oddity, or shall we, uh, or, or shall we move on? <laughs> you see, folks, we're trying to have fun this week somewhere because it's, it, it hasn't been fun, really, has it? But, uh... <laughs> I've, I've thought of one, but I think it's really unfair on him because well, I don't mean it in the context, but I thought of Radiohead Creep. But not creep, not creep in the way that, but creep as in they say it in the song. You know, I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. <laughs> when he's his first foray into the Beaver Town Brewery, that's what's in his head. <laughs> 
I think that tops my space oddity because I can just <laughs> visualise it. But <laughs> well, uh, look, let's head let, let's head to an area that Daniel is most certainly more comfortable with, and I'm going to hand the baton for this over to Milo because it is annual accounts. So, uh, annual accounts uh, for the period up to the 30th of June 2022 were published on Friday. The headlines are: We lost 61 million before tax. Revenue increased from 361 million to 443 million. We had 226 million in the bank at the end of the period. New White Hart Lane generated 106 million in ticket sales, which is three times as much as the old place. Our wage bill increased from 209 million uh, to 209 million from 205 million the previous year. In comparison, Man United is 384 million, Man City is 354 million, and Arsenal's is 238 million. We spent 160 million on new signings. We received 25 million in player sales. We owe 262 million on outstanding instalments on transfers. And we drew down 100 million of the cash injection from Enoch. And Alistair Gold's inquiries with the club suggest that the remaining 50 million is still available. So that's, again, that's something we were talking about and asking questions around um, the January transfer window. It appears we've got an answer on that now. Yeah, that's an interesting nugget of information for sure. Covers Poro's fee, doesn't it? Or whatever Mm. chunk of it we have to pay in the summer. Um, The accounts were accompanied by some quite exhaustive notes. What struck me about them was how honest and more open uh, the club were about past transfer mistakes, which again is something that they'd also done in their letter to the trust the other week. So I think there's, you know, there, there's an honesty there or an openness about, you know, past mistakes. And, you know, we know we're talking about that window where, you know, Ndombele came in, Lacelso, you know, that window and probably actually the, the following window where, uh, with the exit, you know, with the players that have left. So Mourinho's first summer, Hoybier, I think, is the only player we signed that summer who's still there. So there's been, you know, some real errors there. But again, talk about the improvements since Paratici came in. So bearing all this in mind and that none of us are financial experts, Ram, how does this look to your untrained eye? Oh, well, to my very, very untrained eye, I mean, I'm not sure there were any like major revelations from the report itself, but I think it, to me, it sounds like we're operating as a very well-run business some, with some expected losses. Um, but the area that stuck out for me, I think there's two areas. One is that the outstanding instalments, that's quite a hefty fee, but I imagine it's perfectly serviceable and we're, we're, we're all, you know, completely on top of that. And then the other was the, um, our wage bill. Um, I think at one point our wage bill was almost, you know, probably before we went into the new stadium was almost half of what Arsenal is, but we're sort of creeping up on them now, aren't mm. we? But again, I imagine we, we can afford it now, you know, three times the amount of revenue from match day sales alone. Um, it means a hike in rage, uh, uh, wages for everyone. Steph? I mean, I, in my life in general, I'm at a stage where I'm trying to simplify everything to its, to, to, you know, to its most basic reality. And when I look at this, as you said, Ram, it looks like we're an efficiently and well-run business and that we're not prepared to go out on the wilder limbs that some of our quote-unquote rivals mm-hmm. are going out on when it comes to wages, particularly uh, and and maybe and maybe spending money on players and and uh, I, you know that, that comes down to a personal opinion. I mean, you know, Reg, you know, Reg at the Golden Slug wants us to go and spend, you know, a hundred and ten million trying to get I don't know bloody Neymar or whatever, you know, into the club. But it's really not an economic model that you would want to subscribe to if you want the club to actually exist in the modern realm. So. You know, as you said, not much of a surprise, but at what point are people just going to accept that this is how we're run and that actually it's fairly responsible? 
And I mean, I think that there's an ego thing going on with some fans where they just refuse to accept that because, you know, it, it's, it doesn't parallel with their worldview, right? But this is it. This is where we are. I, I, I didn't think there was anything offensive about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's frustration with other clubs spending a fortune and us not. I mean, you know, we're yes. spending yeah, more than we have before, but it's, um, um, you know, when Chelsea are going out and spending 600 million in the space of two windows, you know, people get envious, don't they? And I think, you know, that there is a section of our fan base that wants us to have a sugar, sugar daddy, daddy owner as well and uh, I'd be splashing that kind of money, which we're never going to do under these owners. And it, and it begets the question that we're never going to do it with these owners. There is this other side, isn't there? As individuals, would we want us to have owners that did that? Because what baggage would come with that? I mean, you know, we get into who's owning your club when you spend that money. What do they do to get it? There is that whole other track, right? I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. To, to, to get us back to the accounts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ram, so Enough emotional you... nonsense from you, <laughs> <laughs> What does it all mean? <laughs> existential minute ram your, your point about the kind of the, the outstanding amounts on um on the on the transfers or the players we've signed basically that's what's what's owed to us on incoming players plus money in the bank right. if so you know that's not how it's going to be spent but but there's, there's money there to cover it i think a lot of people are expecting us to be posting big profits this um in these accounts and you know certainly that was kind of the expectation um, from many, you know, during the transfer window and people thought they were being delayed because, you know, because they were going to show how much money there was there and that, but we weren't willing to spend it. And kind of the more conspiratorial, uh, you know, sections of our fan base thought that's what was going on. I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind is this, this financial year, there wasn't a full program of events at the stadium that summer. So you're going back to summer of 21 when we're still, um, kind of the tail end of lockdown and things like that. And you wouldn't have, I mean, Steph, you, you know all about this in terms of kind of the amount of time it takes kind of for planning the big events, the big stadium events. And people weren't organizing them because you didn't know what restrictions or what was going on that summer. So whilst there was stuff, some stuff at the stadium, it wasn't what we're like, what we're going to see this summer or, or even saw last summer. I mean, I think, I think again, going and again, sticking with the, the, the actual topic of the numbers in front of us, uh, you know, we have to remember what you said at the beginning of that news item, which is, you know, most of us are not financial experts. Um, so for us to make these very sort of like, you know, uh, binary statements of, well, you know, there should be loads of profits because now there's loads of gigs at the stadium, as, as you quite rightly said, you know, there is a process that takes place with these things. And it's, it's complicated and COVID did complicate a lot and yeah. we spent a shitload of money on a stadium, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I personally love the stadium. So I'm, I'm, I would be bemused if anyone thinks that we should be making loads and loads mm. of money. I mean, the biggest complaint I could see from people is, well, why doesn't Joe Lewis do what other sugar daddies do and just park a bunch of wedge on the, on the table? And the simple fact is that's not what he's going to do. So I, it, I don't really know what yeah. more people can complain about other than not liking the fact that Joe Lewis isn't going to do it. But the figures, to me, they make a lot of sense. I mean, look, those wages are unbelievable. Man United, $384 million yeah. in wages. I, I, would be, I would actually be outraged if we were paying that much money in wages, especially given some of the performances. <laughs> but, you know, I mean. <laughs> so about a quarter of that's probably Ronaldo during that period. So Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> 
I also think like, you know, we when we look at the next accounts, you know, further down the line, I think three or four nights of Beyonce at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium probably cancels out that 62 million debt that we, <laughs> we posted for this, you know, this, um, these accounts. I mean, there is another element to all this, which people have complained about. They'll talk about the, you know, they'll talk about the the transfer fees spent on the likes of Ndombele and Lascelles. And yes, those were, you know, in hindsight, those were mistakes. And you know, you can certainly say that, you know, Daniel Levy made poor decisions in maybe sanctioning those transfers and then canning the manager for whom those signings were made. And that's, but those are mistakes. And as you said, Milo. I was sort of relieved and surprised to see them actually make steps towards admitting some culpability. That, to me, is a very important step forward in terms of not just where we are, but maybe not doing it again. And maybe yeah. that's what we've seen this this window with Antonio not committing. Maybe we've looked and said, well, hey, I know we need a centre, but we don't know whether he's going to be here and we can't do that again. We can't buy a player specifically for him if he won't commit. I don't know. I don't, but, I don't know. I think, you know. I think Porro's about as specific for Conte a player as you can buy. So, But he'll work with a lot of other managers, right, as well. So he's a, he's an, he's an amenable I, purchase for several managers. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you're going to see Porro playing as a conventional right back. Oh, anyway, it's a speculation on my part. I'm just thinking. What what I was going to say though is I, I do think that if it, you know if he is leaving in the summer and you know your point about Ndombele, who you know Pochettino said was a one year project project in order to turn him into the player he wanted him to be, and you know Poch wanted to sign in the summer before, but it wasn't we weren't able to do the deal then, so we'd waited a year and he'd turned down other players in order to get Ndombele. You know, and then to like you said, to can him off a few months after that, and mm. you know, doesn't make any sense. But you know, I think we probably need to think about our recent squad building as in the same way. If Conte's to leave, we probably need someone um, who you know, fits the squad profile rather than bringing in someone who wants something completely different and starting that rebuilding again. You know, if we're you know halfway through the rebuild or what have you, we need someone to come in who can see that through rather than the constant change that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think, again, I think from a financial perspective, maybe what I enjoyed the most from the report, well, enjoyment is maybe an abstract term. What I appreciated most (laughs) from the report was that, uh, yeah, if that was my idea of enjoyment, uh, I would have no friends (laughs) and I probably wouldn't be married. Um, But what I appreciated the most about it was that first step towards culpability. Yes, we've made some mistakes here. But let's move forward and we're all in it together doing the best we can. So um, uh, maybe we should just leave it there uh, and move on to, you know, the topic we've all been looking forward to addressing this week. So anyway, depreciation uh, on the Bestadium bill. I noticed it was seventy million in the year, which I think means that they're depreciating the value of the stadium over over fifteen years. Should we talk about that a bit, or we can? And then I'll add my existential view that what is the true value of architecture to the emotional state of being for all time of hospital support? We're just we're just trying to avoid it, aren't we, chaps? We're trying to avoid the King Power Stadium and Leicester City, and oh oh boy, look, it's great that we it's great that we have our automations with this pod because there's a clear in, there's a clear entry. What did you think of the team selection? <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> Ram, bring us away. Um, so I was surprised to see uh, Royale lose his place when he's been so strong for us recently. I thought that, you know, he should continue in the fine form he's in. And also um, I would have gone for the same lineup against City 
just with Forster in for Lloris, which is an enforced change, and then Sanchez in for Romero. Because um, I think you're, you know, you're playing around so much with that uh, that back line. Like if you're introducing someone making their debut as well, I just think it's a recipe for disaster. I was excited, like pre kickoff. I was really excited to see Poirot and see what he could do. Um, and you know that you know that side has been a real problem for us this season. And you know I agree that Royal's um, been in good form of late, but. I was hoping that we were going to try and be aggressive and take the game to Leicester and that doesn't really suit Royale and I, I thought this was a positive sign and you know I've slated Conte quite a lot for you know not using new players or not using new signings this season so I think it would be you know, a bit hypocritical of me to pick him up on, on when he does do it so yeah other than that I mean you know on the pod last week I said that I thought there's a fair chance that he might pick uh, Jaffet over Sanchez because he seems to see Jaffet as Romero's under Sardi and Sanchez as, as Dias and Sanchez has tended to you know certainly since the World Cup or those um kind of mid-season friendlies we've had it's been Sanchez who's played in the in the center when you know when we've been switching things around so that wasn't it wasn't a, a you know particular surprise to me um yeah other than that you know it's kind of what you'd expect yeah I, I I'm largely with you Rem and by the way I just want to comment nobody can see this but there was a moment there Rem when I saw you and I looked and you looked a bit like Aaron Lennon from last week with the beard. And it's very, very strange and abstract. I must be in an abstract mood. Um, but going back to the, the point, I, the first part of the actual overall team selection I was very disappointed by was actually to see Antonio on the sideline. I think he should have spent another two weeks away recuperating. And personally, I think it's sort of, uh, I'm not sure if well, he must have had an effect on the team selection. And, and I'm with you. I thought it was, I, I didn't understand. You've got those changes that are enforced. You've got Hugo's not playing. And, and Christian Romero's not playing two very, very important players. And I just didn't understand Tom Foolering around a bit more, if you will, to, you know, at, at the back there. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'd go a bit further than you, Steph. I think that Conte probably ought to stay away for another three months or so. I don't know whether Ozzy's got any, go- <laughs> Ozzy's got any golfing buddies who can step in. And, um, we, we, yes, golfing buddies. I like that. Yes. Uh, do, do, yeah. Does Ozzy Ardiles know anyone that could step in for a little while? <laughs> He's got the right club. Yeah. yeah. Good. No, I agree. Oh. I agree with that as well. We'll get to that later, <laughs> won't we? Um, but we should address um, the simple question which is next on our automations for these things. Oh boy, four words. How did we play? Go on, who wants to race in? And Go on, Milo, off you go. I'll take that. So I think I think the big issue for me in this game, or us in this game, it wasn't me who was playing, um, was that we were just really passive. And I think a lot of our worst performances this season have been when we've been passive. And our best performances is when we've been on the front foot and attacking people and you know, attacking teams and aggressive. And we didn't really do that in this game. And, you know, we allowed Leicester to have you know, prolonged periods of possession, particularly as the game went on and just never really controlled the game. And, you know, I, I think, I suspect that the players are trying to hold a bit back for, for Tuesday for the Champions League. And it looked a lot to me like some of the, you know, the really bad half and half games we've had this season where, we don't really turn up to the first half and then, you know, 15 minutes, you know, 15 minutes into the second half, we start playing. Apart from this time, we didn't start playing. So, yeah. yeah it, a cunning, was... a flaw in that cunning plan. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of bugger it, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, I agree with you. I think the timings of the goals took it out of us a bit. Okay. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I just thought we were passive and didn't really 
take the game to Leicester. And, you know, you know, we complain about kind of our back line. Leicester had three players making their home debuts. Yeah. You know, wow. but, you yeah. know, you wouldn't know that from the way they played. No. no. So, you know, it's. Yeah, that's an good. interesting point. I, yeah, that yeah. we'll get to the timing of the goals. I mean, I, I I think there was a global whoopee cushion in the 45th minute. I mean, it was like unbelievable. But anyway, Brandon. Yeah. So, one, so one last thing actually on how we played. I really don't think that there's a systematic issue with how we played. Again, it was it was individual errors. We'll, you know, later on, we'll go through and we'll have a look at those goals. But all of them, you know, the, 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 the common thread through all of them is that there was at least one player fucking up majorly on yeah. them. And several of them, there was a, you know, a group effort to try and fuck it up as much as possible. And whilst we were passive and, you know, didn't do enough and, you know, second half, you know, for much of that up until Leicester's fourth goal, you know, we, when we had the ball, we didn't do enough with it. We weren't, you know, there wasn't a clear pattern of play. We weren't awful. And, you know, there were the odd chance we created, uh, you know, despite trying hard not to. Um, but it was, it's not the system. It was just error after error after error from players. And that again, that's been a, a, a thread all through this season. And yeah. 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 Totally. I agree. And I, you know, I, I just, well, again, we'll talk about it later and I, uh, I won't talk about specific players here, but I thought, I, you know, I thought we started brightly enough and I thought we were good value for our lead. Um, but I felt that once Leicester started finding their groove, I just, I think we lacked that mental fortitude, which affected our physical play. So we had plenty of opportunities to open them up. They're quite, they're, they were still quite weak in the back, at the, at mm-hmm. the back, you know, the uh, Leicester defence. Um, but our decision making was all over the shop and so was our focus. And I think maybe the City game was, because it was a very physically demanding game. And I think we we were suffering a mental come down from like the highs of the previous weekend. So as soon as, as, soon as Leicester started knocking on the door we allowed them to punish us too easily and I felt like our big players didn't step up at all we seemed very we played in a state of bewilderment it seemed we seemed foggy Mm. Uh, as you said decision making was poor throughout even at one nil up we made some pretty poor on-field decisions Um, Mm. touch was off which always strikes me as maybe the concentration's a little bit off although I know and I'm sure you'll talk about this later Milo you have another theory for that which uh, was about fitness and I think you'll get into that later and I think that's a very fair point too I just I, I keep on coming back to you know again stripping things down to their simplest point try and make things simple especially at this stage of the season there's so much chaos at our club right now between Hugo going out and then you learn the setting all these interests and then suddenly Antonio comes back when nobody was really sure whether he was coming back or not. I mean, we heard Stellini say, we're not, I'm not sure if he's going to be here or not. I, I just, you know, make a binary decision and say, I'm not coming back for three weeks. Have a good time. I'll be on the phone. I think it would leave, I think those little things become distractions to an already pretty distracted bunch of players. I, I, I mean, I do. I think they're factors. But. I think it's pretty damning when you play better without your manager than when you do than with him. Yeah. Which we will get yeah. into for sure. <laughs> Like for sure, I agree. Um, yeah, it was like the shackles were off, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting at this point. Uh, you know, the way the notes are going, I'm sort of going to give give you both a choice of where we go. Do we want to go directly to the goals, or do we do we want to address a couple of individual performances? Which, which do you want to start go to with? The goals. Let's go to yeah. the goals. Let's we might, start we might with the goals. The and, let's, and let me just frame this for everyone listening, because I think this is fascinating. And I actually think, if you know, we should toot our own horn. Maybe. Why not? I think one of the things that we do manage to do here is we, we manage to take a very analytical view uh, of things and not be as emotional. A lot of that is because Milo spends extra time 
digging into these things and really seeing the wood for the trees, if you will. I mean, I just see, I mean, I, I freely admit, I mean, I know my tactics, but I see a forest, but there's more to it than that. And especially yesterday when everyone was very emotional and there were some very emotional things being said and there was, you know, big fingers pointed in one or two directions. Um, so let's break down those goals. I mean, let me just start before we bring you in, Milo. Ram, go, can you give us your view of each goal? And then Milo, come in and, and help break it down for us. Oh, yeah. Okay, for sure. Like, I think the first goal, um, which was a, a great hit from Mendy, um, but I thought... I thought Perisic was really cumbersome to sort mm. of close close down that space. It was like he was he well he was completely inviting him in for the shot, thinking he's not going to do anything with that. But you know it was it was a great hit. Forster, who's like nine foot seven inches tall, I thought got nowhere near the ball, which admittedly fantastic hit. But at least if you stuck your arm out, I would have suggested he wouldn't maybe wouldn't go like catch the ball like like get the ball to hit his hand but he would get near it it looked like he, he got nowhere near it um and you know this it, it was the speed of the ball as well but yeah I just you know it was a bit calamitous I think the the ball coming in um was it Bentoncourt who sort of headed it out yeah you know and I thought that we could have probably I thought Bentoncourt did well but I thought we could have dealt with that a bit better um and then the second goal was that um uh, should, should we just what? Should, Steph? Should we take that first goal? Actually, why don't we just go yeah. through them goal by goal? Because otherwise, I like that. Let's go through them a lot goal of people, by a lot goal. Of people's keeping their head otherwise. So, yes, yeah, you're, yeah. Right. <laughs> you're exactly right, uh, Ram, on that one. So, you know, Bentico heads it out. Perisic is slow to close down Mendy. Uh, Mendy wallops it. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount Forster could do with this one. I think he's probably expecting it to go the other way, and I think he probably thinks that Perisic has got it covered, um, and it mm. squeezes in between Perisic and, and um, you know, tight to the near post. So I th- I'm not sure that I'd hold too much blame for Forster there. One thing, actually, you said, you know, Perisic being slow to come out, and he set himself, so you uh, didn't make the decision to get closer. He um, crouched down and, and put himself in to block the ball. It's something I've noticed quite a lot this season. When you see players coming out to close, they they uh, a player down that they they've got the option of getting closer. But what they'll do is they'll hold their position and set. So Hoybier does this a lot. Uh, Perisic, uh, but you'll see it with a lot of our players do this, where they could get close to the man and close to the ball down. They don't. So I'm I'm pretty sure that's a tactical decision, and it might be. I think this is something that Liverpool were doing a lot last season. Liverpool were inviting teams to take shots from distance because mm. they're, they're low percentage chances. And what you end up doing more often than not is turning over possession and then you can play out from the back. So a lot of that might be a, it might be, uh, coaching, getting to, getting teams to, you know, take shots. Um, although I think in Perisic's case, it's probably also that he was a bit worried that he's not quick enough to get there anymore. But yeah, <laughs> we've given up some worldies this season, haven't we? The, especially yeah, on that yeah. side, yeah. actually, isn't that the, that yeah. was roughly yeah. the area that Partey uh, rifled Partey, one in yeah. from? I, 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 I feel I'm forgetting one. Uh, right, there was another one. I feel I'm forgetting. But anyway, yeah. oh. the second goal. Oh yes, no, no. You should continue. Continue with this pattern. I, I think oh, it's working really oh, well. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep Sorry, my opinion yeah, yeah. out of it. I just, uh, for the moment. No, no, it's, it's, you, you carry on. Um, was the second Iniacho? Second one is was... uh, Madison. Oh, Madison, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again... That stupid that, was celebration that, uh, that he does, by the way, where he yeah. tends to be an aeroplane. Was that, um, was that with when he'd isolated Dyer? Uh, we'd, we'd lost possession. Was it Davis kicked it out? That's right. Yeah, um, and the ball and basically went straight to a Leicester player who just kind of passed the ball forward, and they were, they were in loads of space. No, uh, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, keep, keep on and going yeah, because what's fascinating is yeah. 
that's how the, your memory of the goal is how most of us will have remembered it. Yeah, and then it was two against one uh, with Dyer. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so all no, he had to do uh, was roll it over. Jaffet, Jaffet, Jaffet. So, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happening in that one? So before that period, we've got um, a period of uh, possession, and Dyer has um, moved into midfield to make himself available for a pass. That was it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're effectively trying to make triangles so we can pass through or trying to pass through Leicester. In terms of the passage of play, they're forced to pass to Davis. Uh, Davis tries to pass to Kane, but Kane's tackled from behind by Fayers, mm. um, and the ball falls straight to Iheanacho, um, bypassing Dyer. So Dyer's you know, in midfield, and uh, Jaffet cuts across to um, fill the space that Dyer would have been in, and Iheanacho squares it for, uh, for Madison, who's where Jaffet would have been normally if Dyer was in position, and then and he shoots from there. Um, but I think you know during the game we were talking about the role, the very specific role that Dyer had against Man City, where he was coming out and man marking and press, uh, pressing uh, Silver, and he you know that wasn't a case of what he was doing here. He was you know we what we normally do again it's those patterns to play out from the back and create those triangles and those overloads and allow us to play through a team. That's what we were trying to do, and it just didn't work. So let me ask you this, because I think this is an interesting question, given that, of course, Eric Dyer is the uh, public whipping post for, for the world. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, you've broken down the goal there. As you watched it back, uh, you know, is this 100% on him or is this just a breakdown of the system when something doesn't happen perfectly? Because surely um, Davis's ball into Kane is as much of a percentage ball as anything, but, especially the but, way Harry was being marked early or early doors. So, uh, Yeah, I'd put the blame on Davis on this one. Um, it's a loose ball. He tried, yeah. it's, it's, he goes long. There are easier balls to play into midfield and we could have played through and retained possession, um, yeah. Yeah, especially considering we've just conceded a goal. Um, I think uh, a kind of a, a hopeful upfield ball to someone with back to goal probably was un- you know, an unnecessary risk at that point. Um, Kane can't see fears coming in behind him, but maybe he could have done a little bit better. But I think we're also slightly unlucky that the tackle turns into a pass to Iheanacho, who yeah. was super, who was superb all game. Yeah. That's the player yeah, Man City was... thought they were getting, isn't it? Yeah. Really yeah, good. I, I, I agree with you, um, Milo. I think it's... Uh... It, it is on Davies that goal because he did, he he had uh, so many different op- options that he could do and even or, or even just a punt like you said just a punt upfield that like, over you know back to the keeper or something like that you know towards the keeper but would have been better than trying to play like quite a placed pass to Kane I, but I at speed. Pun- I think the pass to Dyer is on, and that's what Dyer's moved there for. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think so he's kind of stitched Dyer off a bit there, but yeah. Well, I think it's very interesting to discuss it through that way, and I think it's important yeah. that because that ball essentially Kane's got his back to goal. You're already lighter in that area of the uh, of the pitch than you usually are, and as you said, that's why Dyer's pushed up because he's expecting the pass to come square. I mean, so yeah, I think it's really interesting to break it down, and once again, we see that perhaps there are other players at fault as well. <laughs> Um, I mean, in this game, yeah, in mean, general. So, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have to bear in mind, and this is a problem for the next guy we're going to talk about, um, Dyer is slow on the turn now. So well, he, let's, he's let, fine as a... Yeah, should we take the third goal? Yeah, yeah let me cool. hold you up from that, yeah. because, I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm sort of liking the way this is going, Ram, you you know, again, what you remember We'll, we'll test you. you. No, we'll no, no, you. It's, you, it's, you, no, no. You, you no, say no, what you remember then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to, yeah. I'm happy. I mean, look, okay, I'll take, I'll take this on. I mean, very simply, <laughs> what I remember in that moment is absolutely zero fortitude uh, in, uh, with regards to preventing or slowing the ball coming from a deeper position into the danger areas of the pitch. 
right? So I, I, I mean, and this is again my very simplistic view. I remember. I mean, I'd have to watch it again. I still can't figure out how. Unless they were breaking our lines so much, it seemed to come down to outnumbering the midfield. And you know, but suddenly they have isolated and they're in on Dyer. And and it, it, you know, it, it just seems that you know we've discussed this. You know, Eric's really good when he's facing up. But when he has to kind of look around and try and like play the margins, he, he kind of can't. He just can't do yeah. it. And so at that and point, it, I mean, I'm it, looking yeah. and I'm like, yes, this is Eric Dyer's fault. But again, we know what Eric Dyer's limitations are. So how on earth do we as a club allow these situations to unfold on the pitch, given that we surely prepare during the week? And then you can get into the discussion about, well, you know, you shouldn't have to prepare for the weaknesses of a certain player, but we fucking do have to. And we didn't. He's isolated. And yeah, I thought it was a terrible goal to concede. And it, it was a giant whoopee cushion, uh, I think, for all of us. I mean, just picking up around kind of preparing, I, I would say our system is actually designed to try and keep Dyer in positions where he doesn't have to do this kind of stuff. I think as the deepest of the three central defenders, he doesn't have to do a lot of one-on-one defending. It's a lot of mopping up and then the distribution. So I think it's designed to avoid this. Mm-hmm. In terms of you know how the goal comes about, there's a, um, it follows a period of sustained possession from Leicester. We overturn it a couple of times, but we give away the ball cheaply. So again, when we win the ball, we don't use it well. And that's, again, something that happens all the way through. It actually comes from a, from our throw. So Perisic has got the throw just around the halfway line, throws it back to Davis. Davis passes to Dyer. Dyer passes to Hoybier. Hoybier has a very heavy first touch, which again was a problem throughout the game. He's pressed by Eniacho. He does a messy pass to Davis. Davis is pressed by Tete. And passes to Perisic. Perisic has a messy first time blind pass behind him into the space where you might expect Sun or Kane to be, but neither are there. Castagne gets the ball, passes to Iheanacho. And then you've got Dyer running towards his own goal, look, trying to watch Iheanacho. Can I ask you a when quick you question get... there? Go on. That, that ball from Castagna, that's the one I'm interested in. How does it get yeah. into yeah. Iheanacho? What is going on in that space? Because it's a fairly large space, as I remember. What's not it happening was. in that area of the pitch for Castagna to be able to find Iheanacho I mean, so I, easily? I think the problem is is that all of the passes, you know, from Hoybier onwards, all of the passes are rushed. And right. Leicester, I think, are doing a trigger press throughout the game. So they're not pressing us cons- yeah. constantly. But when certain things happen, then then there's a unit, they all press us. And we had one of our ga- games where we were poor in possession. Um, now... So I think, you know, going back to when we talked about the selection thing, I think if, if we pick Sanchez and, and Royale, I think they would, yeah, the trigger press would have been to press when they get the ball, as we've seen other teams before, do before. Um, so on this one, yeah, so Dyer's running backwards, trying to keep an eye on Iheanacho. And then when they get to the edge of the box, Dyer stands, stands him up and um, Iheanacho does a shimmy and Dyer completely buys it, is wrong-footed. Yeah. And then he yeah. curls it into the corner. And, you know, the issue with Dyer is that he, he's, just he's turning he's a, he's, a, he's okay as a straight line runner but his turn his turning is awful he's so slow on the turn and um he's got no mobility anymore but my theory on this is it goes back to when he burst his appendix i don't think yeah. he's been the same player since then mm. and certainly you know at the point he did that he was a midfielder and he's he's never been a midfielder since because he just doesn't have the agility uh anymore mm. um and that's why i think he needs to play in front of him because otherwise it's just you know he'll get targeted yeah. You, you know you'll you'll double up on him and 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 it'll be a mess so yeah it's um but again i think this is a this isn't a, a, the only time this happens to dire in this game yeah no um and 
and it's you know it's important to remember that was uh, one of I think three goals where we we lost possess we gave away possession resulting in Leicester being able to you know it was obviously they pressed us and and it was that trigger press but yeah we gave the possession away and then it instantly led to a goal like instantly led to a goal scoring chance for yeah. them I think at one point like Iniacho he did shimmy but he almost stopped. And still, you know, made that space for himself and, yeah. and Dyer completely sold it. Am I being too harsh on Forster when I say that I think Lloris might have got a hand to that? It was a lovely, it was really nicely placed, so, but that's the sort of stuff I think Lloris so, tends to get a fingertip to. So, so Forster's on the right side of the goal for this one. Um, mm. And he's, he's, you know, fingertips nearly get to the ball and it goes around mm. him. I think, um, I mean, Steph and I were talking about this before the game. I think if he was, you know, eight years younger and maybe a little bit lighter, he gets to it, mm. but um, mm. you know, being a bit fatter and a bit slower, or you know, a bit bigger and a bit slower, happens to all of us. You don't quite have the bounce that you used to have, and uh, yeah, I think maybe maybe that's an issue. You know, he's a six foot seven bloke; it's a long way to get down and 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 get to it. Um, yeah, I think a, a younger, sprightlier keeper probably gets to it. He, I don't he know about did Larissa. Go on. Larissa's fluffed plenty of these this season, so I'm not oh, sure to- about yeah, that. Totally, but, um, yeah. Yeah. but he does look like he's, he did look like he was moving in slow motion. I mean, as the shot was going, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get down. And he's moving, he's getting down slowly. I mean, it was like it was, you know, several frames per mm. second slower than life. I mean, that's why I remember looking and thinking. But yeah, your theory there, uh, Milo, I think holds a lot of credence for sure. But so yeah. far, what's interesting about I the way say, we've I, I feel down, seen by what you're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, we're, we're, some of us are we're all seen. I'm, Don't worry, I'm, you're I'm not a keen alone. Runner, but it, I'm a keen runner, but it, look, I, it looks like the slow motion bits from Chariots of Fire when I'm... <laughs> But, let, but yeah, in I mean, real look, time, yeah, I mean, let me just <laughs> let me just say, if I was in goal uh, for for one of those shots, I'd still I'd still be going towards the floor right uh, now, actually. So you know, I probably don't have any leg to stand on. Um, but you know, it's interesting about breaking down these goals, and we're obviously we've got one more to go. Uh, I think you know we're already dis- we're already discovering that you know once again football is a team game, and you can isolate individuals, and you can say it's therefore therefore therefore. But as you quite rightly said, Rand, this has all come from coughing up cheap possession, and as you said, Milo, there's poor touches in there all around. I mean, all three of these goals so, are preventable from a technical yeah. perspective long before yeah. we isolate the issues that we know we already have, such as Eric Dyer. The, it's very interesting. The the two. Two people I you know, hold most responsible for on this one. Hoybier's mess, you know, poor first touch because it you know, it plays away from him. Mm-hmm. And after that, we're always kind of snapping at it, just trying to yeah. keep hold of the ball. And then Dyer. I mean, Dyer's you know clearly the most culpable, but it comes from a heavy first touch from Hoybier. Yeah. And someone who's better in the ball on the ball, then it never happens. So I'll give you my view of the fourth goal, and then Ram, you Do should what? come in with your view. Do you, and then, do you want the disallowed, disallowed Barnes goal? Because I, I I've got that note on that quickly, if you wanted that one. No. Um, yeah, no, we sure? do. Go on, seriously. No, of <laughs> course so, we do. I was just... <laughs> Dyer passes to Kane. It's a long ball. It slips past him. Suter gets it. Suter hoofs it. It goes to Saar. Saar chests it down to Hoybier. Hoybier is dispossessed by Ian Acho, who passes it to Barnes. Um, so this is... Barnes gets past Porro here. Porro tries to shoulder him and, and misses, and then Barnes is just gone for pace. Um, Barnes mistimes his run slightly. So I think, Steph, you were saying, you know, it's kind of millimetres offside. Now, this is um, a good piece of good news here because if Dyer was any quicker on the turn, he would have played Barnes onside. <laughs> 
So, I love Eric Dyer. <laughs> Eric Dyer loves me and is intelligent. So, he is. Eric's a smart when, man, when, by the way. So, yeah. When, when we yeah. come back to our one positive, one negative, my positive is going to be Dyer being slow on the turn. So this was not so gold. There we go. <laughs> and your negative is Dyer being slow on the turn. <laughs> yeah, so, to blame for the others, yeah. <laughs> So does this, the fact that we're actually talking in such forensic detail and you've made notes about this disallowed goal, does this mean, Milo, that you actually question and criticise VAR for their egregious decision to find him millimetres offside for a goal that no. I think most of us felt that spiritually the bloke deserved? VAR has had a brilliant weekend. <laughs> so. No, no. But, uh, but yes, at that point, you know, you thought, oh dear, well, we got away with one and then we sort of tricked ourselves into thinking that we might somehow claw our way back in but you know the fourth came i'll give you my, my <laughs> here's my honest view and bear in mind it was what at that point like i don't know eight thirty in the morning you know i'm out of town i'm in a hotel room I'm, I'm trying desperately to focus after three and a half hours sleep not had enough coffee and i just remember looking up and thinking fuck that looks too easy it looks too easy for him to score from there. Uh, we look like a pat of soft butter that is just being cut through at will by a side that actually, if they were any better, would on this given day have scored six or seven goals past us. That's what it felt like. And I just felt that at that point, there seemed to be a collective failure um, to, to stop uh, to stop the, the, the goal from, from happening. I mean, I think Dyer again, um, doesn't do his best work. It shouldn't be said. And I think Forster, again, doesn't do his best work for sure. But I just felt at that point, and psychologically, it seemed that, you know, our collective team whoopee cushion was flat. So, Ram, I don't know what your view is. And then Milo, tell us what, what actually happened. What actually happened? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty similar to you, Steph. And I think like... Uh... Like at that point, when that when that first Harvey that disallowed Harvey Barnes goal after that happened, I thought, okay, well maybe this will galvanise a bit. But then throughout, I think I even said this during the game. I was like, I still think Leicester will score before we do. <laughs> you know, that they, they they've got more. Um, that it looks like they'll score before us. Uh, we can get another um, our second goal. And um, yeah, yeah, I thought you know it was co- collectively. I'm um, dire again. I think you know didn't didn't stand up. Uh, do do his job enough. I th- again, maybe I'm being harsh on Forster. Um, again, I think he possibly could have got to it. It was a nice strike, but I felt like a keeper of his size could get to it. But then, as Milo pointed out, maybe it is because he's that size; he can't get down as quickly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it was just the second it was, time we've made this excuse. He's a professional goalkeeper. I mean, in yeah, real yeah, terms, yeah, exactly. we shouldn't be allowing him that excuse. I mean, if it was me or Milo I mean, in goal, yeah. you'd allow us that excuse. And uh, and well. Know, yeah, I mean, if we cheaper. go into more detail about him, I just, I I'll explain to you where my grievances with him come from. But yeah, uh, I yeah I, I agree with you kind of on that goal, Steph. So it'll be nice to hear. No, it won't be nice. It'll be interesting to hear what Milo tells us actually yeah. happened. So it starts. Leicester have a free kick just inside our half. Suter takes the free kick, passes it to Barnes. He's closed down by Royale. Um, he passes it to Dewsbury Hall. Dewsbury Hall passes it to Madison. Madison passes it to Prayet. Sanchez turns the ball over, passes it to Richarlison, who overcomplicates things rather than just um, clearing it, overcomplicates mm-hmm. it. He's dispossessed by Dewsbury Hall. Again, another one I thought had an excellent game. Dewsbury Hall passes it to Barnes. Barnes passes it to Flex off Hoybier to Castanier. Castanier passes it to Prayet. Prayet back to Castanier. And Diddy, Prayet, Fayez, Dewsbury Hall, Madison passes to Barnes and then Barnes shoots. 
at that point, you're absolutely right. Dyer's rooted to his spot. He kind of plants both feet down and um, and Barnes just curls it around him. I think this is the one that Forster's most culpable for out of the out of the four. I think he he, um, he should have done a lot better. Um, but Dyer again, just that la- lack of agility, that lack of mobility, really, I think was another factor in this one. You know, going through the goals as we are, I think it negates actually some of the questions we had earlier about individual players, because I think what we're, I mean, we can discuss it loosely, but I think generally what we're all coming to the conclusion uh, here of is, you know, there was a lot of sloppiness, a lot of tentativity, a lot of um, indecision, a lot of poor decisions. And, that you know, when you start adding those things up on a football pitch, there is only going to be one conclusion. I mean, you know, we can talk yeah. about Pedro Porro's mm-hmm. debut. We can talk about Ivan Perisic having probably one of his poorer games for us. I mean, we can talk about all of these things. But, you know, how fair is it to isolate uh, players in, in the context of such a large collective failure? I mean, if you look at it, though, like with how much we miss Romero, Romero on that half of the pitch, in, from our half and the opposition's half, he really puts out fires he puts out a lot of fires for Dyer as well like he flies through that box and you know and and is a a great sort of shot stopper of his own right or stopping people in their tracks if you look at Davis last week against City I can't remember how many uh block shots he it might have only been two one or two but he put he really put himself out there to block a lot of shots that were coming in and we didn't have that today so then what you've got is Dyer isolated without anyone kind of um you know coming uh kind of protecting him i think though when you you know when we when we're going through that list when you look you know looking at each of those goals the names we're not hearing coming up there really are poro or jaffa particularly um mm. you know it's not their side of the pitch and i think um you know, post game certainly is kind of what i was seeing online there was a lot of criticism of, of those particular players and i think um this is one of the reasons why i was so keen to watch the game again because i think this you know, can be a risk that you um yeah, kind of confirmation bias. You you look, you know, what you think pre-game or you know your preconcept preconceived ideas of players, and you you kind of latch on to that. Um, and I mean, there was plenty of criticism of Dyer and Hoybier and others as well. But yeah, I think I think actually it's, it's a game where our senior players were the ones who let us down the most. And it's um, interesting. It's interesting you mentioned. Yeah, I'm trying to. Think, I'm trying. I'm trying to. Mm. Go on. I say it's interesting you mentioned Tanganga because uh, uh, you know he is a player that came in for some criticism uh, from me actually as well mm. saying that you know he was a, a poor selection and that I felt you know his his overall uh, mobility and 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 lack of knowledge of the system and so on maybe cost us um but then as you pointed out when we forensically break down these goals um he's not directly involved now that either means he wasn't in a position to be involved which maybe that's a problem or it means as as you as you pointed out that you know he was not the biggest issue and uh, again that's why sometimes looking at these things 24 Four hours later is a very valuable yeah. uh, a valuable act, action but, to take. Yeah, I mean the one the one he's most involved in is the Madison goal where he's covering dire space. You yeah. know that's not he didn't do anything mm. wrong there. He did the only thing he could do. If Romero was there, I suppose the only thing that might have happened is Romero might have gone through in that show and he never got the pass out to Madison. <laughs> you know, there's always that chance. <laughs> oh, but. Um, yeah, you know, he, he nobbled Madison earlier in the game, so he couldn't do it. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I, I think the the thing that you know, we really miss when Romero's out is his quality on the ball, and mm. you know a lot of those um, 
a lot of those come from sloppy passes out or you know poor use of possession um or not using you know when we've when we've regained possession not clearing our lines not not doing enough with the ball and Romero helps with the, all of that a lot so mm. yeah well we talk about Decky not having had the greatest game yesterday and there's a direct correlation <laughs> between what you're saying there with Romero on the ball and Decky I mean they they have a relationship and they understand how each other moves and, and when and timing of, uh, of, of passes and so on and so forth so it's another factor and by the way let me just say this as someone who did criticize Christian Romero's early yellow last week which ended up in a red you know there's it, it, there's a lot of uh, what I would call Wednesday afternoon quarterbacking now saying that like you know well you see that yellow blah, blah. this game was not lost because Christian Romero wasn't on the pitch I would rather he was on the pitch but we should be able to ride out the loss of one player in that situation I, I really think we should we should be able to but I suppose the reality is that when you look at it we're not <laughs> we're not able to um, which, which is a, a you know a really sad and and somewhat uh, sobering reality. I, you know, I mean, mm. I think I think the issue in this game so it goes back to what I was saying earlier on about us being passive. And I yes. think you know, point you've often made, Steph, about um, you know the thing with Conte's team is everyone needs to be on their game in order for it to be successful. Successful. Yeah. And when we're passive and we're not on our game, we're inviting pressure yeah. and we're inviting mistakes. And we've got as a yeah. team. We've got too many mistakes in us. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, that's that's been true all season. Oh, I agree. And look, we're uh, yeah. actually uh, let's let's talk about Antonio here for a moment. Um, you know, do we need to start talking about his future one more time? If, for perspective, we're still in the hunt for two trophies and, and and a top four position. So this is either in spite of or because of Conti. So if it's the former, then we need to take some action. We have to, because it's only going to get worse. But if it's because of Conti that we're still in the position where we are, then we need to, for me, I think maybe we need to just shut down um, until the end of the season, any chat of like, you know, we need to get rid of him. Is that that your viewpoint? Take stock. I think so, yeah. I think if, if, well, I think we need to, I need to decide, are we in the position we're in because of Conti, as in still fighting for top four and two cups, or are we doing that in spite of him? Before Milo comes in, can I pin you on this as well? Would you, at this point, mm. as we sit here talking about this game and with you know Tuesday to come in, would you be happy if he then if he now turned around and penned a contract to stay for another two years? No. Okay. So I mean, I think I don't think this is binary. So I don't think Conte is all good or all bad, and mm. you know he's clearly done some things well. I think um, you know. To, you know, to be in you know two cups, you know, through to the last sixteen of the Champions League, in with a shout to top four, you know, is all positive. I think we're underperforming compared to you know what we were expecting at the beginning of the season. I don't think he's used the squad well. Uh, we'll come on to talk about fitness in a in a moment, but I, I've got serious concerns about our fitness and and the impacts that's having. But I also think with Conte, he's caused a lot of problems. Um, mm. And I go back to kind of the the, the yeah, him talking about his future before Christmas and um and and it's a tactic that he's used regularly in order to try and squeeze money out of the club and to you know to gain you know what he wants it's it's how he operates but i think that's brought a lot of instability on us and i think a lot of kind of our post you know, restart wobbles have been brought on by him and i think that's the opposite of what his job is and his lack of commitment i think is a problem for us yeah, I, I think that if we are a club that is driven by him and his image 
as we stand at this point, it's not it's not working as it should. And that may be just a consequence of circumstances. It may not necessarily be his fault. He's had a lot going on in his world and in his mind as well. So it may be that we're just at that point where the timing isn't right for us to be together. Um, and I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to feel that that's the case. I'm beginning to feel that it's just not going to work out with him at this football club. And it seems like he is beginning to feel it's not going to work out at this football club. And so it seems like we're doing this inevitable silent shuffle towards a summer exit. It just yeah. feels like that. I mean, it felt like that watching the game. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think yeah, I, I think he's always been an odd fit for us. Yeah, in the same way that Mourinho was not fit for us. His football style of football isn't really, you know, doesn't really fit with the club's traditions. And you know, when it's going well and we're on a good run of form, I think people, you know, swallow that up. And you know, some of the some of the play on the break can be very exciting. But on the whole, um, you know, kind of that attritional style of, foot, of football doesn't really fit with us. It's not what we like. I think, um, yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, you've got you've got to take into account that it's been a really difficult season for him. There's lots of stuff that's gone mm-hmm. on. You know, we've talked about where he must be at and uh, and and everything. So there is mitigation there. Right. Yeah. That's. I, mean, but I that's, don't think he's making. I don't think he's making us better than the sum of our parts. And I think that's what I look for in a manager. Yeah. I mean, I, I again, it's a very strange place I find myself in because usually when managers' times are coming to an end, you have a very direct emotional response to that. Whether it was Martin Yole, you felt great sadness. When it was Mauricio Pochettino, you, you felt that the world had ended. When it was uh, Jose Mourinho, you, you popped the sh- bottle of champagne and said, "Fuck you, get out of our club." Uh, you know, and it, it, emotions are usually attached. But this is beginning to feel a little bit like, like, um, like, uh, like, um, oh God, I'm forgetting the poor man's name. AVB? No, the, the, um, Wolverhampton. Wondrous. Good. Nuno. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. What a, what a senior moment there. It's beginning to feel a bit like Nuno, where you're looking and you're like, you know, I like you and I know that you're doing the job the best you can. And I know you're giving us your best effort, but it is time. And I'm starting to really feel like that with Antonio. And, I, and, and, and it's not, so I would never, ever feel angry towards him or bitter. As a matter of fact, yeah, I, don't, I would always feel warm towards him. He's giving it his best yeah. shot, but it just ain't working. It's a relationship that you really want to work and you really want it to, yes. you know, kind of come be, be yeah. fruitful. Um, but yeah, but I think that your gut is saying this isn't yeah. right. And and I and I come back to it, you know, we're talking about the defence there and, you know, who, who could stay around. And I think we probably need three new central defenders in the summer and you can't bed those in mm. straight away and it's going to t- take a while to settle in and, you know, Poro's new and Udogi coming in will be new as well. So I, I don't think... You know, we're not going to be challenging for the title next season. It's going to take a while for these players to bed in. You know, there's still more rebuilding work to do. We're probably, you know, maybe halfway through that rebuilding um, job. And I don't believe that Conte is going to be around to see that through. So I think maybe the right thing to do is to look for someone who can do that and say, thanks, you've taken us so far. And, you know, I think, yeah. you know, he'll leave, you know, him and Paratici will leave the squad a lot better than, you know, we had, uh, you know, at the end of Mourinho's time. And someone else can come in and do the next stage of that and, yeah. and maybe see that project through. I agree with that. Um, let's move on to the, the really probably the final thing to discuss in general. Yeah. Um, and that is that, you know, <laughs> last weekend, pre-Man City, we made the bolder but simple announcement that we had a fully fit squad. <laughs> this week, we have injuries 
two, and let me laundry list uh, this: uh, Hugo Lloris, Yves Bissouma, <laughs> Rodrigo Bentacor, and Ryan Sessegnon. Uh, Pierre is uh, suspended for Tuesday's Champions League game. Um, it, it seems almost like a, a rhetorical question, but I'll put it out there anyway in the hope that one of you cuts me off. Um, are injuries going to have a big impact on our season yet again? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I mean, that they are. But, but but I think it's interesting. And Milo, you were, you were saying that we were talking about fitness. Why don't you get into that a little bit? Because it is a really yeah. interesting theory and I think it holds really good water. So, so I think that, you know, there's a couple of points to this. I think a number of these uh, injuries here look like they could be um, kind of fatigue-based. So, you know, Basuma's got um, kind of stress factors. You know, he's bare, he, he hasn't been playing. Um, it's not a contact injury. That's that's through, you know, through training. And then, you know, Cessna on with his hamstring. Benton Kerr yesterday, you know, ligaments can be, again, um, you know, you're more likely to pick up injuries if you're tired. You know, we've seen a lack of rotation. I do wonder whether we're, you know, we, we saw in the summer how hard the training was. And with the um, kind of compressed calendar that we've seen this year, although not so much over the last month, but over the year as a whole because of the World Cup, I, I do wonder whether um, that training is having an impact on this. I also think that it could be um, one of the reasons why Conte struggles with two games a week. So, you know, we're fit but maybe we're not in good condition. And I think maybe that's the difference. And I think that might be why we see us playing for, you know, those kind of 45 minutes games and that the players, if they're playing two games a week, can't press, can't play at full throttle for 90 minutes twice a week. And we don't have the rotation to allow, you know, to, to, to compensate for that. And, and, and that might, you know, that might be a problem. And I think if the players are conscious of that, then that might explain why we were so passive in this game because they know they've got another game on Tuesday and maybe they were holding a bit back and then the game was beyond them by the time they could, you know, they might have started upping the tempo. Any thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get, I I think that's really insightful, Milo. Um, And I think, you know, largely I, I would agree with you. I just can't get my head around how a top six club and a manager or a manager in a top six club, an elite manager can't can't designate for more than one game a week. It just I can't get my head around that. <laughs> I mean, just to throw in a, a theory that we were tossing around before the record. I mean, I you know I do think obviously the World Cup has had an impact, but I do wonder if the different mm-hmm. training methods that each country takes like you know there's different different ways of mm. training and different ways of recovery and different ways you know these players went from our system to six weeks of that not all of them but the key ones um and you know suddenly you know here we are at a, at a point in the season where actually it's our key players who have been making mistakes i mean hugo Lloris has been making mistakes pierre has been making mistakes you know harry has not always been on his game sunny is off his game so i i just wonder if you know that maybe there's something to do with the the fact the training is so bespoke that if you throw it off its pattern in the season you're screwed i don't know but the problems predate that, and we've got players who didn't go to the World Cup who still have had injury problems. You know, if you look at, say, Romero, mm. abductor problems back in August, um, Basuma, his knee in September, September and October was out. Um, Decky had a thigh issue back in September and November, lost, you know, over a month for that. Um, Lucas, his problems go back yeah. to August, obviously didn't go to the World Cup. Richarlison, calf back in October, um, you know, hamstring in December. So, um, you know, I think. It predates that. Um, it might. Yeah, 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 but just uh, look, I, 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 I see that and I see that point. But we're talking about conditioning and conditioning is what gives you your touch, your 
your your poise. It means you know it means that you know every second that you're on the pitch, if you're in good condition, your body's set that much better to be in mm. the right you know technical posture to execute very simple things and you know we're increasingly unable to execute very simple things we talk about hoybier's sloppy control we talk about those things and i just wonder if you know our training is so bespoke that any system is any deviation from it throws off and look maybe i'm maybe i'm scratching for excuses and they are just fucking knackered i, I that might be it but i but I, th- I think I think Milo's making some really valid points and but what I what worries me is that he's making these valid points and they make complete sense. So why I, why is it still happening? Why 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 was the club thinking, "Oh, actually, I, it could be this." You know, I'm completely unqualified to make this observation, but I just wonder whether a method's just a little out of date and, you know, teams that are a bit smarter around this and, you know, um their conditioning work is better. Um yeah, team, I mean, you know, I've got the you know, it's, it's a bit like we saw with Mourinho, where Mourinho wasn't you know, left it up to the players to do their own fitness work, and this is obviously a very yes. different approach to um, yeah. to what we saw there. But when we saw the you know players doing you know twenty lengths of the pitch after playing a full game in you know very very hot temperatures in the summer, and then you put in a season where you're you know is compressed and you're playing so many games, you do wonder whether that's actually. You know, because you don't see many other clubs doing that kind of stuff. No. And at the time, we all thought it was great. But actually, on the hindsight, when you look at the injury problems we've had, it doesn't, it doesn't appear so. And this is an issue, this kind of two games a week thing. So ignore the injuries for a second. In terms of the conditioning and being able to play two games a week, this is something that's followed Conti around everywhere he's been. So it's yeah. not new. And I just wonder whether that might be the reason. Because I don't think we're varying our tactics hugely game to game. I don't think there's, you know, it's that bespoke. I don't think there's, so, you know, I, I, what's what's the thread? What, you know, what's the reason for this? Well, we're, and, and this in and of itself is 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 the issue. You know, it, the, we keep on banging our head against the wall when it's obvious that all it's doing is giving us a headache and a bloody forehead. It, it's there's got to be another way through the wall, and we're not looking for it because it worked a couple of times before. Uh, but we may not either have the personnel for it. We may not have the yeah. backroom staff that he's had in the past to do it. Uh, who knows? We may not have the communication. So it's and, you know, it, it, it's it's a big and, big issue. Um, and you know, if you look at if you look at last weekend's game against City, most of those players hadn't played for two weeks prior to that, right? Because we'd had um, mm. Preston in the cup, and what Sun started that. Who else started? He played. You know, not many. So um, you know, most of those players had a long break and. There is yeah, a very that, cryptic you know, uh, element to what you said uh, just then, and that is post-match after the Man City game, we actually heard Sonny joking in the background, two days, two days, make it yeah. two days off. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think this yeah. is a very important part of the discussion. And as you said, Ram, uh, let's let's hope that someone at the club is 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 analysing this. I mean, you have to believe that a multi-million billion-pound operation is investing in these simple metrics uh, and 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 reasons and trying to do something different because that's a lot of fucking injuries to have and a lot of uh, tired players to be playing. But but I think too much of this. Is down to the manager at the time. Again, you know, we've seen this kind of switch in technique between, you know, there's all this talk about the lack of fitness when Nuno went and Conte came in. But, you know, you think before that around Mourinho where, you know, he wasn't focused on that. He left the players to do it. Obviously, Poch was very, very different again. And, you know, he was he was notorious for for training the players really, really hard. But we didn't have the same issue we've got now with only being mm. able to play 45 minutes. Although, admittedly, the players who are with us now who were there then are five years older. But... 
Um, you know, we didn't have this issue then. And I do just wonder whether, um, you know, if we saw a change in manager in, in the summer, you know, say Poch came in again, whether that would change because the conditioning work is different. A, a side question. I mean, do we hold do we hold any responsibility on the director of football for maybe not being a little more proactive in, in, in bridging that gap between the manager dictating every single thing that happens uh, on the training pitch and the football pitch? Uh, and and, and not, I mean, it seems like there must be some responsibility. Good, but I mean, good luck to any, good luck to anyone telling Conte that he can't condition players in a certain way because I think that's only going to end in one way, isn't it? Interesting. Mm. And again, we come back to the fact that we're all feeling something's in the waters with the relationship. So anyway, anyway, there'll be. I hope uh, to say there won't be many more discussions like this, but I'm sure there will be um, in the season. Uh, you know, let's uh, just uh, very quickly think about. Should we think about this Champions League tie that's coming up or should we just leave it and talk about it when it what, happens? <laughs> let's pick it up. I think the, the, the thing we've got to think about, and you know, we touched it on it in the question, is that with Hoybier suspending, suspended, Benton Kerr out and Basuma out, we're going to see Sar and Skip starting at the San Siro. And that's a lot on young shoulders. I don't think they've ever played together, have they? Not Certainly not beyond kind of a few minutes at the end of a game. So it's a big ask. And... I do also wonder whether that means that con- that Conte gets more conservative. So, yeah, the temptation is going to be more conservative. To, well, because because you've got an inexperienced central <laughs> yeah, midfield. Yeah, I think the, the, he might be tempted yeah, yeah. to go there and try and get an, you know steal a nil nil because I agree with you know, that. Don't open yourselves yeah. up and yeah. you know so Royal starts. I mean, you'd you'd start Cess, wouldn't you? But it's going to have to be Perisic, and then you know maybe you hold on for a nil nil and. You know, rely on set pieces and that's about it i think that that will certainly happen uh, i i agree with you actually uh okay mm-hmm. let's bring what 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 a, th- what a thrill for valentine's day that will be yeah. you know, just yeah. for the football romantics <laughs> in us we get a grinding out nil nil draw and that's the best we can hope for <laughs> you did it is val- oh my god it's valentine's day as well There'll be, yeah. yeah there'll be about yeah. as much flair as a teddy boy's drainpipe. I mean, unbelievable! It's going to be. As, <laughs> oh dear! Uh, should we? Should, should we, we book in for an emergency pod? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I, I'm just taking a breath. I, I'm trying to think of a metaphor or something. There's no metaphor. There's no metaphor, is there? No. I mean, it is just going to be no. like that. It's going. We, we are the metaphor. We are the metaphor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what did we think of Leicester? Come on, let's let's. I'll kick this off. I'll just say, I thought Leicester were, you know, it's typical Brendan Rodgers. Like you know, really, it was typical Brendan Rodgers' side. I think they're extraordinarily inconsistent. And I, I, I look, I think if we'd have showed up, even twenty-five more percent, we'd have won that game. They're not. They're not very yeah. good. They're fun to watch, no, but they're not very them, good, are they? Yeah, we made them look better than they are. And I thought they were just as prone to giving the ball away as we were and pretty open at the back. We just didn't capitalise yeah. on it. Um, and they've got good players and they've got a couple of really good players. Um, they also have the fortune of a fully fit squad now as well. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right, Steph. I think, you know, I don't even think 25%. I think an extra 15 and we would have won that game. I, I've been pretty impressed with how Rogers has pulled it back. Actually, I was been pretty scathing of of him over the last kind of year and a half, and I thought he was going to get sacked the, earlier this season. And I think it's probably a credit to Leicester that they've stuck with him and that they've managed to turn it around. Because since they brought the new signings in, they've been playing a lot better. So yeah, should we do one? Should we do our closing thoughts? Yes. Why don't you do them? Yeah. One positive, one negative. One positive, one negative. I'll give Why you. Why don't mine. you start? <laughs> 
Okay, so my positive, I I thought Sar looked I thought Sar looked pretty good when he came on. I've I've liked um I like his link play. I like how he drops back, picks up the ball from defence and brings it forward. And we're going to see a lot more of it over the next few months. So it's a good job that I like it. <laughs> um, the negative, just it was just a clusterfuck, a clusterfuck of mistakes. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, positive, we only conceded four. Negative, uh, I can't look past Benton Kerr's injury and mm. the implications of it. Tough to find any positives, really. Uh, I like uh, your Papsawa Milo, so I'm going to hijack that uh, and sort of ride your coattails <laughs> on it and say that I do love the way that he glides around the pitch. He's got that glide around him, like mm. he really effortless, um, uh, effortless eating up of the yards, if you will. He never looks like he's in any trouble at all. So um, like yourself, uh, uh, Milo, I am I, glad that I love him because I'm going to have to learn to love him even more. Uh, yeah, I just the negative for me, I've got to say, it, it was the fact that, you know, Antonio reappears and the whole thing goes to shit. I don't know if it's coincidence. I don't know what it is, but that was a real, that was just really a, a very negative uh, emotion uh, to, to feel during the game and looking at him just, he looked bewildered. He looked so lost. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know. That wasn't very good, was it? That was, I, I'm, I'm sort of wittering on. So I'm going to bring this to an end. Uh, <laughs> no, because I just don't really know where to go. It was such, it was really emotionally yeah. draining. I mean, it's, you know, and I don't, I'm usually a little more philosophical. But I'm just like, oh my God. It's like, you know, and, I, and we've got a line here in the script, everyone, you should know that says, thanks. That was fun. No, it wasn't fun. But I think what it was, was important in terms of maintaining some perspective on how things fuck yeah. up. It's enough. To, everyone can point a finger and say, well, that was fucked up. You know, this guy's an idiot. That guy's an awesome. Whatever about that. What I enjoyed about today's pod, chaps, was that, you know, especially for me, I learned a little more about it because I watch yeah. football in a certain way. And Milo went back and did, did the work. And hopefully uh, everyone who's listening, maybe, you know, the work has been done for them too. So... Hopefully we've managed to break it down, you know, and we can all moan with, with confidence because we know what we're talking about now. <laughs> so, <laughs> chaps, thank you very much. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. And uh, everyone out there, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about our uh, rip-roaringly exciting encounter at the San Siro, the one that we're all eagerly anticipating. <laughs> An explosion, a goal fest, and West Ham. <laughs> See you next week.